Good morning and welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lichtenhauer Longsword Glosses. I'm your host, Mike Smorridge, and joining us are our panel of Michael Chidester, Stephen Cheney, TQ, and Jess Finley. This is episode 39, which is our second episode, looking at lines 102 to 109 on Vinden. Right, we're recording this a day after our last episode, episode 38, so most of us haven't been up to very much. But Jess, anything to report for the last few weeks? Uh, yeah, yeah, I just wrapped up uh, my class on the Hopsugar, which went, um, I think, pretty well. People seemed, um, the, the feedback I received was that they, they enjoyed it and um, had new tools for, for understanding the context of the plays. So as far as I'm concerned, that's all I wanted to succeed with that, because that's all you can do over Zoom. So anyways, yeah, super excited about that. And then um, I am preparing to start a class next month on the armored sections of the gloss. So it'll be a little six week exploration of that over Zoom. Next month being tomorrow? No, 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 sorry. Uh, yes, tomorrow, but the 23rd of the month, I believe. Right, so in the last episode, just to recap, we went through the about what was it half of the gloss maybe for this section? And we went a... through about none of the gloss for this section. We <laughs> uh, no, I distinctly remember doing some reading out loud. So, right. Read it, but did we really talk about it? Yeah, we went through all the intro parts. We got distracted going on a big rant about Einwinden and Auswinden and how if they mean anything, it's the opposite to how modern Hema tends to use them. And after about 45 minutes of tea talking about that, we wrapped it up. <laughs> not sorry, and I do it again. Okay, so where's Please the best don't place? do it again, though. Where's the best place to start this morning? Where we left off is probably the... I s- yeah. So now we actually so get to hear about the set-piece plays of the winding. Remember how to drive the four wines from both hands. Let me just double check where we got up to. Should be the section that says this is like the first, you know, the, learn that there are eight windings, and this is the first one from the upper uh, side. Before, before we read, um, Jess Finley, do you have any contextual bits about winding that we should talk about before we talk about the individual plays? Because that was what we did yesterday. What, what does winding mean and so forth? What does winding mean? Um, I. Uh, have a little image of a hunter um, with his pair of dogs on leash uh, that maybe we can put in the show notes. Um, comes from a set of 15th century playing cards, and um, so he has he has the leash all wound up on his hands, um, on his arm and hand. And uh, anyone having a look at it will be able to see that the dogs, in this case, come in pairs. Um, and were trained to work as pairs, um, and so they would always be put together and uh, and wound up in that way. And that if he were to let go um, with his hand, it would uh, it it was called hanging because the leash would hang. So if he lets go with his hand, both of the dogs just slip off of the leash and and run forward. Um, so there's a little little Shakespeare reference in there as well, but. Um, so anyways, um, so that's hanging in and winding or hanging in Vinden, uh, in, in hunting terminology. What, what um, kind of hunting is that? He's got a big spear. Is it for hunting? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Hmm. Though probably he could have been going for bear as well with that kind of spear. Um, I didn't even realize that bear hunting was a thing that people did regularly. Don't you need a big spiky suit for that? Not always. Oh, uh, but so wait. So winding is when you pull the dogs back, or when you control the dogs before you release them. Like, how does that work? Um, so hanging, well, it would be, both. The dogs, it the would be both. Yeah, it would be both. Are the dogs still on the leash after you've let the leash hang, or do they? Escape no, they, the they slip no. off the end of it. So how do you they get them back? The you grab them and you wind them, like you put the leash through and wind them back up, or wind the leash back up. Oh, so you got to go find him first. Oh, well, absolutely, yeah. You just follow the sounds of Angry Bear. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Interesting. So, so but winding is, what did you say? It's the, the preparatory motion before you release the dogs? Or is it just sort of your ready position? I think that's asking a little much of the metaphor. That's what I think. Okay. All right. <laughs> just, just exploring the, the corners here. Although yeah. this, does remind, this does remind me of a, an idea I was playing, or a, a framing that I was playing with a couple of years ago, where winding was like the bent arm transition, transitional positions in front of you, kind of in your in your workspace. And then once you had done your winding and got to the position you wanted to, you would hang where you would extend the arms firmly into one of the four quadrants and the point would come out therefore. Um, and like you'd increase the distance and go toward goes towards the target. So winding was moving from side to side, up and down, like in this kind of nebulous bent space in front of you, and hanging is going out out to whatever you're trying to hit. All right. To me, my my current concept would be that the winding action is when you've taken your point offline, it's how you transition back into the hanging. Well, let's get into place, and then we can see how they match up with our mental models. Maybe. Okay. Going for the place. Remember, there are two other wines from the upper hangar on the left side. Likewise, dry two wines. Oh, we, we didn't do the, the previous one, the first two. Mm, okay. Remember how to drive the four wines from that section? Yeah. yeah. Let me just zoom in on this spreadsheet because these are real small letters the first thing in the morning. Remember how to drive the four wines from both hands, the two upper hangers, that is from the oxen. The first upper hanger has two wines driving like this. When you're approaching with your onset, stand with your left foot before and hold the sword on your right side before your head in the ox. If he hews from above his right side and binds on you against your left side, then wine against his stroke with your left side with your short edge on his sword, yet still in the ox, and drive well up from your arms and hang your point in towards him above and thrust in towards his face. That's one wind. If he displaces your thrust with strength and sets forces it off towards the left side, then remain on his sword and allow your point to hang in above on his sword and wind again towards your right side, over into the ox, the long edge on his sword, and stab in above towards his face. These are two windings on the sword from the upper hanger on the right side. Okay, so what's going on here? You're chilling out in right side ox, left foot forward, is that right? So the first thing that jumps out at me is that Ringek doesn't talk about starting an ox. He, see, he just says, if he binds onto you on your left side. So that could be any guard, I guess, for Ringek. Yeah. And sort of makes this much less prescriptive. I think I've definitely pulled this at least once, where you start all actions point, and they bind onto your sword from different directions. Okay, so it shouldn't matter too much how you get there. So you're in this bind, and drive up well with your arms. Right, so, so my next question would be... moving your sword to your left side with your short edge on its sword. It's still in the ox. That's still in... So basically you're moving to left ox? Well, Not my, necessarily. Maybe. But my, my next question would be, if you're an ox, what does driving up with your arms mean? Are you going from a, to an even higher ox, or, or what's the... Why is that instruction there? Well, it could also be drive... What's the original German? Drive house? Um, drive up with the arms is only in Ringek. So he might be talking about going up to Ox from like plow, maybe? Because he doesn't, Ringek doesn't or start something else entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so from Long Point up to Ox. Yeah. Sure. So this, this sounds like the maneuver traditionally called an absetson, doesn't it? Which is not an absetson. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the absetson. Looking at the text of the absetson right now, and it's pretty similar, really. The one against the cut that is, because the one against the thrust thrust says like set aside with your sword and then wind. But against the the cut, it just says extend the plow if he hews to your left side above to the opening rise with the sword, and wind with it onto your left side against his hue, the cross guard in front of the head and the ox, and step forward with it with the right foot, and stab him to the face or chest. Do it on both sides. Okay. So this one, this one specifies which edge to use. 
otherwise it's same same isn't it seems to be cool pretty close all right and then if he displaces your thrust with strength so he pushes it off towards the left side his left your left doesn't matter most of them just his left his left so that's your right side so it's coming your hands are up in left ox and your blades being pushed towards your right side then wind again towards your right side over into ox the long edge on his sword and stab in from above okay so you're winding from one ox to the other ox in response to him parrying potentially that's definitely the classic Hema version of it, but there are actually other things which are congruent with the, with the text here. Go on, Tia. I know you're waiting to get this one out. Um, so I don't know if this is the version he's currently. A year and a half ago or so, I was hanging out with Travis Mayer around IGX 2019, and we came up with a version of the winding where you'll start in right ops, um, and as they come to bind on your sword, you dip your point underneath, and kind of uncross the hands to catch with the short edge. And then you complete that circular parry, which transfers them back to your long edge. But you bound their sword, bound them to their sword with your short edge. And you finish in the ox, but you finish in the right ox that you started in. Um, and then if they push your point aside, you essentially do a second circle point uh, to re-engage their weak and remain again in right ox. So you do all of these actions staying in right ox with circular twisting motions instead of going from one side to the other. Um, and it can all be done surprisingly. You can do the whole thing actually textually, actually consistent with every specific detail of a particular gloss, although it can end up being messy if you try to mix together and be congruent with all of their details at once. Um, but it's an interesting alternative framing. Okay. What do you guys think of the the Travis Vinden? You had a play. With I think it? it's I think yeah. it's cool, but I tend to go with at least for the first winding from right to left. I go with the Huma version because it has worked for me in sparring, and it seems less convoluted. Not that it, not that a circular parry is convoluted. I think that's a lot like um, the Kurtzal. We see something like that, especially in ring Act where it says wind back up to your right side. Yeah, you end up doing something a bit like how and you could do an upset something like to yeah. act on your right side instead of your left against the thrust. Um, and what was that? What was that um, daily ring Act we were talking about the other? Oh yeah, uh, fencing short from ring Act. A similar thing um, against somebody cutting short. He goes through below and then winds up to Rayox. So those are, you can see ideas like that happening, but I don't think this particular one is like that. So I have a question about this, which has sort of puzzled me. What is your opponent doing that you're in right ox and he's binding onto the left side of your right ox? What is even the I scenario that's being addressed here? I interpret it as your beginning in right ox and starting the engagement by provoking them by hanging hard so they have to parry you. And then you get to wind. So you're shooting the point first. Yep. I'm not just sitting there in ox waiting for them. Yeah, I don't think I've ever tried to attack someone's ox by binding onto it. But if they're actually thrusting, that's oh. different than that you're trying to get them to parry you. Yep. To, to me, your opponent's just attacking your open target. Like you're in this ox, I'm in I'm in right side ox. My left side is the open target, so he's going to cut me here, and I'll land against it. But it says that he binds onto your sword, not that he attacks your opening. Why are you guys all saying that you um start in right ox? Isn't it left ox? It's right ox. Stands again, they were very specific. Yeah, on your right side in the ox. If you then hews in above to your left side, wind the short edge at his sword against his hue again in the ox and stab him to the face. Yeah, Michael, I think uh, you're conflating the ring. I'm confusing ring and, and Lev. Yeah, you're right. Le Lev doesn't require the bind. Okay, okay. So it's all looking like ring idea here is. It's looking like ring is pretty different here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Ring forms a bind and then winds. 
whereas Lev is just waiting for the attack to the target. And so is, is he doing the, the Shirihima Abzetsun then? He's just going to try and pretend like Ox is a good parry and just yeah. swing his sword over there? Or yeah. do you think, or would you add an action to control the sword first? Well, personally, when I do this in sparring, I do add an action. I, line, I know that people can't see me, but you guys can. So I tend to wind across like this and then catch it and drop the point. So it kind of looks like, I'm going like with that. my winding interpretation, yeah. Okay. Where I want to have a, a better parry than that, and then I wind my point forward. Oh, right. This will also cover pretty much anything coming here. All right, go ahead, Jess. If they're throwing a cut at you from High Von Pog, you want to go into Ox. So I think we have a strong association with always cutting from our shoulders because that's a happy fencing place. But if they are actually coming from High Von Tag to Uberlaufen and really own that high line, then you're going to want to get your ass into Ox real fucking fast. Excuse me, there I am again. That's my one. I did it. <laughs> Even from High Von Tag, though, that Ox is not going to cover you very well. Like if he throws a Scheidelhau at me or any kind of vertical ish cut to my left side, uh-huh. that Ox is. I have to really line that up perfectly to cover anything, unless I'm doing a hanging parry and pretending that it's ox. Well, you can pull the point in a variety of directions, and it's still being basically ox. So I think if I'm envisioning ox, I'm envisioning the picture in in Peter von Danzig, right? Where the point is straightforward. Is a sphere an ox register? No, it's a sphere. It might end in ox. (laughs) Cool. If I'm if I'm parrying, uh, well, I, so I, I'm really I'm trying to understand what this what this physical movement is, because the terms I think are confusing my picture in my head. Okay, on, so what so physical I'm, movement are you describing? Can you give me a couple extra words, Jess? Yeah. So, so I mean, like I said, I like to, if we're worrying about this exact set play, I mm-hmm. like to do it um, where I. I'm not responding initially in the knock, so I like to not do it as an upsetsin. But if I were to do as an upsetsin, I would need to do it sphere-like. That is, I would look to be cutting with this wind. I would not look to be choosing a thrust because there's 24 and we're supposed to choose the right one, Mm. right? So I would be deliberately eating into measure and turning it as a cut which would look exactly like a sphere. Yeah, so that's a, that's a different interpretation of the Dreivunder than I think I see in a lot of HEMA videos, which is first you go to the hangar and then you do a Wunder, as opposed to I'm doing an attack that involves the hangar. It is during the wind, during the turn, that I choose my hangar. Your Wunder. Yeah, or my Wunder, yeah. thank you. Thank you, yeah, I, I choose my Wunder. Yeah in the turn, because how I turn chooses whether I'm going to be lined up for a thrust, I'm going to be close enough for a cut, or I'm getting out of dodge with my slice. Okay, okay, that makes a lot more sense. Thank you. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm doing, so to defend my version again, so if I'm doing, if I'm here, and I'm winding across, and I catch them like this, yeah, right. So I started in right ox. It cuts my so opening. So Steve is going for the for the benefit of our of our one listener. Steve is going from right ox to sort of a lower hanger ish position with the point high as a parry, right. and then he's going up to left ox. Yeah. So now from from here, I can choose. Like, I mean, ideally, I would like to choose to drop the point in and stab, but I can also turn into a cut, because and I get a pretty good arc from here. See, like at least a 90 degree arc. For those, of, right. for those out there mm-hmm. who want a quality cut <laughs> with it with a decent arc, I'm getting a decent arc on. Yeah. Right, that's how you score points in tournaments, you know. Right, yeah. I thought it was that should I be mean, a control in, point. In fairness, like what I'm doing isn't any different other than I'm provoking a bind with an extension first. 
in the way I like to perform this, whereas Steve is receiving a bind and then winding. But either way, we're winding from a bind. We are not winding right. and then getting bound. So just your your cutting one would have the been text like, here seems to give us. Yeah, would it be like stab in and then cut like that? They've bound. Yeah. Bound and then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So that's almost like a duplicate at that point, or not? Well, it's trying to push the blade or then cut behind it. Yeah. So, so it's interesting because I think the texture is open ended enough that all of these could be correct interpretations and possibly intended interpretations. Like maybe the reason why there's not a lot of detail about the setup or the movement is because winding is a big blob, and any all these actions could be are, are equally kinds of windings, maybe. And because nobody can see me, I am dancing it and giving thumbs up and pointing at Chittister like he's a winner for what he just said, because I completely agree. <laughs> yes. All right. So I'm going to be honest. I never hang around in Ox on the right-hand side. I do on the left-hand side, though, so shall we, shall we move to the next section? I would just add that yeah, I let's go on to the one that normally... applies to you. I really didn't used to hang around in Ox on the right side, but I started trying to do the Travis version occasionally from there, and that actually can work pretty well. But you essentially take a sort of horizontal parry across your head with the short edge up, and then you twist it back into that right Ox to expel their sword. And because you're pushing the way it's already moving, it's a lot easier than it can seem to get their sword out of the way. So, right. The Travis interpretation is, is intriguing because it involves basically a bunch of different versions of Ox strung together into a into a effective trapping movement, right? Because you're sort of going from right ox to a right hanging guard and then hooking back across to right ox again once you've got their sword. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I quite like about it... It, 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 it struck a, me more like that than like a Dark Vexel type action. Yeah. Um, but it's, also, it's a radically different take on the material that's still congruent with the same text. So forces like... I think being exposed to it and trying it out expands your like your framing of what things you could interpret as winding, which is quite cool. Mm -hmm. All right, but let's talk about left ox, I guess. Yes. Remember, there are two other winds from the upper hanger on the left side. Likewise, drive the two winds from the second upper hanger like this. When you're approaching with your onset, then stand on your left side in the ox. If he hews an above from his left side and binds against your right side above, then wind against his stroke on your right side with your long edge on his sword and drive well up with your arms. And hang your point in towards him above and thrust your point in above towards his face. That is one winding. So that's going from left ox to right ox. I think. Remember. Uh, right, or it could be staying in left ox the whole time if that yeah, is yeah, right. doing. Yeah. Remember, if he displaces your thrust with strength and sets off against your right side, then remain on his sword and allow your point to hang above upon his sword and wind on your left side into the ox with your long edge on his sword and stab him above towards his face. These are the four winds from the two upper hangers and the two upper binds from the left and from the right sides. Okay, that's quite different to how I'd use it. Hmm. What's this is basically the same piece of text, but only interposed with short and left interposed with right throughout. Yeah, yeah. Just thinking How do you through. use it, Mike? How do I use it? Um, what difference do you see? I, I normally try and get... If we go back to our cone of defense, which is totally not a thing in KDF, I'm normally trying to make sure that I'm on the the inside of his blade and catching it with the hilt and then driving out further to the left even if he's attacking the opening on my right side if i can't do that then it's hanging and snapping pretty much which isn't what we see here well doing it fair how around you can argue is a type of winding into a cut yeah this this very I, much i don't understand what you're describing mike can you just try that do that again how are you so, trapping against your guard? How am I trapping him against my guard? Oh, mate, never trapped anything in my life. Well, 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 I don't remember what word you used then, but you, you were describing something that I didn't expect. 
Okay, uh, catch the cut with the hilt and the strong. Like, collect it. And if that doesn't work, then it's going to displace off. It's, you know, going to slide off the blade and you cut around. So, I think, I think the difference here is that the attack's coming into the exposure and you're winding across your body to cover that. Which isn't how I play. I mean, I think in in the modern game, it's pretty. If you're attacking left ops, people won't normally throw a left a cut from their left side against it unless you're fencing a lefty. Um, yeah, lots of people don't do that. They'll cut at your right forearm instead. I think they well, should. It, takes, it, it does take them a very long time to work out to attack your right forearm. It does. It's true, but like, and maybe they should do a cut from the left side, but they generally don't. So, like Tower said, not do T. Always initiate from your right one. side. That's what he said. Steve, yeah, same for the open target. No, no, <laughs> no. Leishinar says always initiate from your dominant side. So if you're fencing a lefty, this is your answer. This is why we have it. Don't use but, the skins righty. Why bother? But he also says aim for the open target. Lefties and if encourage them. Opponents covering their upper right. If they're if your opponent's covering. The side that your strong side is, then cut from the left because it's the open target. And Lishnar is not really that anal about you always doing everything perfectly every time. Well, then what you should do is you should cut from below at their left, uh, on your left, because then you're not cutting them above right, which is the thing which is forbidden. That is going to be something that, well, that depends on what you consider to be the most open target. And I would struggle to think different. of a more open target than somebody's right hip. I know, but the problem is, it's easy, it's, it also opens you up. So is the most open target actually the one that's the most open, or is it the one that is the most open that you can also, you know, hit and not feel like a dumbass? When we that's why we have like Crump out, y'all. That's why we have Crump out. Like, what are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, the Crump out is the, is the way you cut from your right, but actually aim towards their, from your left. Yeah. Towards their Interestingly, right. if they're trying to do the Travis winding, bring the their blade tends to shut it down um, because it's a lot harder for the circular parry to collect and displace the blade. All right, Just we're going to move on to the plans. Let me, before we move on, let me ask this: Is everybody's main plan against somebody who is in, let's say, left box? So mm -hmm. you know, coming in box, different forward. What's your plan? How do you fence somebody like that? I just gaze on them. How, how do you fence against somebody in Ox? And I'm saying that I just gaze on them. They. So, okay. Is your plan against somebody who you're fencing who's using Ox on their left side? Okay. My answer is that they're shortened. They're... If I try. Okay, so they, they've got three options. They're going to go for a direct attack. They're going to go for an indirect attack, so that's pull it back and then do one of the fancy cuts from high bomb tag, basically. Or they're just going to try and parry repost. To avoid the parry repost, I'm not going to attack the high lines. To avoid the direct attack, I'm going to go for a longer cut. Um, so basically, yeah, just gaze down them. Or attack a shallow target. They're the two that I'd go for. Play the distance game. But nobody uses Ox, so you don't need to worry. Anybody else want to chime in? The one which, obviously, you should do, I very rarely try, is Crimp. Um, mostly just because Reach. Um, crimp is a pretty long-reaching cut, but I'm a pretty short guy, and I use a pretty short sword, so it tends not to be a great day for me. Um, I normally bind their weak and try to walk my mind, um, or I flick them in the forearm. Uh, but just taking a walking a point in with a very long reach uh, pretty nice way to make people regret their life choices and being in ox um so that's, that's what i currently do that that is my usual go-to is to stab straight stab in my point mm. shortened i do do uh, what they say that you should do in this sometimes which is cut to the left side Usually aiming for the hand, because usually their arms are out a little bit further, but sometimes aiming a little bit deeper. 
because that's the open. You're very tall, so that is an open target for you. Oh, tall. Yeah. 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 What's also? Wait, seriously, do the same uh, cut with a dagger and try to see if the the left shoulder, the like the shoulder, is an open target anymore. Yeah. For yeah, others, Another fun game that you can play against somebody that's chilling out in Ox waiting for you to attack is to basically go the Shifelhow route and attack into their closed line as hard as you can. Well, not as hard as you can, you know, but with strength. Because half the time they're expecting you to try and bind their blade and they're already thinking about the very special combination that they're going to do where they pull their sword back and start doing Unterhaus. So if you just GG. Leroy Jenkins it into the line that's about to open half the time it works on the other half of the time yeah that's actually one of my go-tos against people from um like a left shoulder of one target especially righties because almost always when somebody is fencing from there they want you to start moving and they're going to counter cut and so if you just cut straight into the closed line uh you normally get an open line by the time your sword gets there and if you do that cut in the right way, you're also covered under the hilt because their swords are coming straight forward. Um, which is pretty funny. Right. Shall we go for it? Next section. Yeah, the confusing so We've learned the upper hangers. You're going to go for them lower hangers. Now you should know that the plows on both sides are the two lower hangers. And when you lie therein, or will fence from them, drive four wines from them. From the two lower binds, from the left and from the right sides, with all your fencing just as in the upper hangers. Thus, there are eight binds over and under, and whenever you bind, then each single bind think particularly of the stroke and of the thrust and of the slice and try one of them. These are called the three wounders. Okay, so the plow. Do what we did with the ox. Interestingly, it's sticking to moving across the body from plow to plow, not up from plow to to ox, which is weird because, like, the staple maybe move. there's actually. Ah, go ahead, Mike. So, there's an interesting interpretation I've seen that actually considers it to be plow to ox, and that when it says do the same thing as you would from the ox, what it means is go from left plow to right ox and from right plow to left ox. Um, so it may not actually be plow to plow, and there's not enough detail to really know, it seems like. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah, I... That's pretty strongly reading between the lines. Well, there's not a lot of lines to is read it? between. That's the problem. Is it though? Do the same thing as from the ox. Okay. Same thing. Bam. No lines reading being read between. Calling exactly. It's like, okay, okay so with the oxes, you wind between the oxes. With the two plows, you do the same thing. I would expect yeah, that to be you wind between the plans, not you wind into the oxes from the plows. This uh, this bit and the bit in Ringek where it talks about going from plow to ox as being going between two hangers without using the winding was the foundation of the theory I had for a while. Winding refers not to a thing you do with the sword, but the turn of your body. So it's like it's going from one side to the other. Um, mm -hmm. And then going up and down on the same side is not winding, it's hanging. And going from like one plow to the other ups would be both winding and hanging, essentially. Yep, that works for me. All right, so three wounders. What's the German here? It's how, how, stich, and schnitt. Yeah. So, and we've already covered all of them before, right? Is it time for another like random theory? Go for it. Okay, so I think the one of the ways I often phrase this uh, nowadays is that the three wounders are basically the three ways you can move a sword, right? Like if I if you hold a sword in front of you, there's basically three ways you can move the the sword towards a target. You can move it linearly along the length of blade, which is stish. You can move it linearly along the crossguard, like transversely to the blade, which is schnitt. Um, and then you can rotate it. Uh, like around the cross guard essentially, and that is uh, how. So how is the rotational action, the rotational attack, stitch is the linear attack along the blade, and schnitt is the, the attack transverse to the blade, um, like pressing the edge down towards something. Um, 
And so what you're doing with the three wounders is not so much like dealing three types of wound or whatever to somebody, but you're selecting one of three ways you will move the sword towards your target. Um, and you want to do the correct one for the opening you have and the situation that you're in and stuff. That's an interesting I think it's interesting that when we talk about... I was just going to say, just quickly, from a, a theory point of view, having like those three planes that it's moving in and differentiating like linear and rotational movement, it just sounds really post-Cartesian to me, not very medieval. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Another Mike. way... Uh, go oh, ahead, sorry. Go, Jess. Okay, another way you can break them down in the context of winding is if we're doing it as we're as we're you know winding, as we're turning our hands or turning our body, whatever we're turning. That you can think about it as um, different combinations of extension, collection, um, and when the turn happens. So if if I'm going to cut into ox from a Zornhow, I don't know, then I need, it, for that wine, I need to extend my hands and turn my hands at the same time, right? Or I'm not going to really have a cut. If I want to thrust, I need to turn my hands and then extend them. Likewise, if I were extended, I could turn and retract, and now I have a slice, right? So... That's another way to break it down and think about it. That's sometimes a useful, a useful thing. I don't know that it's supported, but it's useful. Uh, I was going to say that it's interesting to me that when we talk about winding in HEMA conversation, it always means thrusting. And winding slices are consigned to the bucket of mire. And nobody else wants to talk about that. And winding cuts, I guess there's the duplarin, and that's not one people care about. So, like, the fact that the whole three Wunders thing seems to not be part of the discourse on what winding is most of the time. Um, and, like, even if you watch tournaments, people will describe that shitty ox thrust with opposition as an awesome wind, but no other sort of slicing or cutting action ever gets described as a wind. Just an observation I have. And I think it's it's obviously based on the fact that the text... I was just going to say, a modern fencing game, like the slice is always lost. And trying to differentiate between a decent slice and just a, a shitty missed thrust is impossible from the outside in real time, I think. And winding so, on a cut. Yeah. I mean, I know why this is. It's because the actual examples that are spelled out here are all thrusts. And then it says, you know, I leave cuts and slices and exercise for the reader. Um, and no one does that. But it's just, it's it's funny that we've lost two-thirds of it. Sorry, Jess is raising her hand. She does that. But most people who, who talk about it on the internet haven't actually done that homework. Um, so winding just becomes eight thrusts. For what it's worth, um, the lower hanging, like, I was going to let it go, but I can't. I'm so sorry, Mike. Um, go, go, go. If you're setting this up in the context of the Veerlager and their interactions, and the ox wines are dealing with cuts coming in from high from tog. Then it follows that the flu wines are dealing with cuts and thrusts coming in from Alberg. Your mileage may vary. Yeah, I definitely. So how does that like manifest in uh, the way you do them? Just as a question. Well. Oh, like how do I do it? Yeah, so, how, how like, yeah. right, if somebody takes an Ulber, and I don't want to Uberlaufen, because they're tall like you, Steve, and I still can't Uberlaufen them, because I can't, then I need to look for, I could either crump and fall on it, or I can take Flug and be ready to work when you rise up in there and try to take a thrust up center, which you're going to have a good chance of pulling off you're way taller than me so then all of a sudden we have a fiori play the exchange of points right or the exchange of thrusts which theoretically is devoid from lesionary except for it isn't i don't think because i think it's written here right so if from your alver alber you pop up a thrust into my center 
from my fluke, I'm going to have to wind my shortage on top and upsets in that bad boy and try to get my own thrust. And then if you don't, then I keep going, right? And then we're in the rest of the plate. We already had Abdudson against the thrust earlier. Who says it's not in Lichtenauer? It totally people. is. People. Yeah. But most people aren't throwing that from Alber, right? It doesn't begin in Alber. Right. But the person who's Abdudson begins in plow, and the other person is just thrusting however the hell they want to. Right. But I think here, what we're supposed to be practicing is getting good at thrusting and cutting from Alber and winding against that. Yeah. Alber come in here for you. It's the source of low actions. Like high tide is the source right, of high but, actions. But why, why, why would Alber be the source? Why can't they just be standing in plow or whatever or doing whatever the hell they want to? Why does it have, why is Alber important? Wow. Well, I mean, listen, we can choose to ignore it. I'm cool with that if you want that to be the answer. I just think it no, leaves no, a big I'm, gap in the... I, I'm, I'm curious what your thought process is that you think that Alber is key to these plays. That's all. I've never captured that. I mean, I, that's not really what I'm getting is like from the explanation that Alber is key, but action's coming from below. And, you know, if you're an Alber, you're more likely to do an action that comes from below. So it's not necessarily just like it, if you're in long point, you can do reverse strike fenster and do a high cut. That doesn't mean that Tomtag is not the default guard for high cuts. It just means that yeah, that's what I'm taking from what just said anyway. Just against low action. For me, it comes down to this has to be a logical system. Right? And so if this is the conclusion and the one true art, right? And we get set up with an example and we say, okay, uh, as above, do below, you should already know what to do. I think those answers exist in the fear legger, et cetera. So what, one other thing um, that comes from low actions, which I was, I was kind of trying to tease out of you, but I'll, um, I'll bring it up anyway. So if someone's coming in with an Unterhau, so imagine like the, the classical you know, rising long edge cut from below. If you parry that, like with your hands, you know, higher, then that bind is going, when that bind happens, the points are going to be pointed downwards. And yeah. there's an idea, so like, you know, if you think of, there's, you know, four hangers that lead to eight lines that, you know, lead to 24 or whatever. Um, how do you define the lower ones? And the way to define them is just like, you know, anytime your hands are in plow, but another way to the, define them could be, you know, the high ones have the points facing up and the low ones have the points facing down. And I think there was a video that Jess made recently of transitioning from the one ox. So you have the play that we were talking about before where, you know, you parry an ox and try to stab. We didn't talk about the, the parrying of that. So if that's parried, then you're supposed to wind to the other side. But that second winding, a lot of times it's interpreted as, um, I'm not going to use the word and you did, it's too late. So mm -hmm. kind of a line where your sword is on the outside line. But another way to do that is to, and this is what um, Jess showed in her video, is to kind of come on top of it, if they're like moving into an ox, come on top of their sword and angle downwards then you'll still be end up on the inside of the bind uh on the inside line but the points will be pointed downwards so just some food for thought what i really struggle here is that these are sequences where you're being cut out and you're moving position to deflect their attack and then uh, probably moving your point on or doing a cut or whatever to hit them. Why isn't this described as Verseptin or Abseptin or Anseptin or any one of the Septins? Why why do we suddenly have this this language of Vinton and things? 
Why does this system suck so much? Jesus. Well, winding is already part of the description of objects. And... Before we get to that, I want to go back into the, the lower ones for a minute, because in the React framing where you don't have um, anything about like fluke or ops here, you just have binding on above and binding on below. Um, you end up with this quite nice, if you just like ignore fluke and ops for a minute, you end up with this quite nice like framing where if they bind above your sword, you push up. And if they bind below your sword, you push down. Um, and you can sort of like, you get this quite elegant mirroring. Um, and one of the nice things about that is it avoids a lot of the, a lot of the time people are trying to demonstrate the lower ones, they get weird situations because they're trying to like show engaging the blade while everything is like super low and the other person's blade is kind of on top and it's like, why are they not just seeing you? Um, but if their blade is further below, then you still have sensible, some degree of sensible control of what's going on um, by like, as you're turning your point around and as you're turning yourself around. And there's further to, to back up what he's saying is a, is a read of this um, from Ab Schneiden from the Four Slices, because in Ox, you, you are coming under and slicing upwards. And in Flug, you're coming over and slicing downwards. So that's for the evidence for T's read there. Yeah, like I say, when I did this in Ring, I actually do it from basically a long point. And then they engage a blade in one of four directions, and you begin by pushing towards their blade. So should the lower direction it is. Should the lower windings all be done with the long edge then? No. Because both of the the if you're slicing, to slicing, maybe. Oh well. Just just a thought. I normally have the short edge in at least but I reckon make a case for that it's an interesting argument. Well, yeah, you have, the, you have potentially the lower wind described um, in Crumpow, right? So you crump and then wind your short edge on, and that could be a, a cut or a thrust or a slice, right? So so you potentially have that if they're if you're crumping an Unterhau. Um, so still- that's where that would be. I was going to say you're still binding with the long edge, but on the left side, Krumpau, you're not. Or I was going to say something else about the long edge. Oh, yeah, Uberlaufen. Laufen, you're always remaining strong with the long edge. So could that be seen as a uh, lower winding where you stay with the long edge? I don't know. That's definitely an interesting idea. I might need to think about that some more. Well, uh, the only reason I bring it up is because of the um, the slice comparison, the four slices, because both of the over slices are with the long edge. So. Just... Yeah, I'd never thought of that parallel, um, but that's quite interesting. All right. So, my previous complaint that this wasn't tied to any of the other terms that we see getting used, or it isn't tied in this section to the other terms that we use, see being used for protecting yourself. Uh, which maybe goes back to like it's calling back that theory. The theory that the Zessel is cyclical, like, I don't know, the Star Wars universe or something. Um, That's also a problem, by the way, which is solved by ringing, because the, it's not described as attacks, it's described as engagements of your sword. Okay. And then, certainly, I think the the left version just kind of like drops off here just ends so i think a an interesting topic here is that this is often described as being like everything in the system um and is it possible to describe all of the actions in uh lichtenauer as one of the relevant like eight windings plus three wounders or eight windings times three wounders i guess framing you know, is there stuff which is actively missing out of that, under that model? And I reckon there is. The so five hues are is missing. Rassling. Rassling was one of the ones. Shieldhow, or more generally, because windings were told to repeatedly are shortened, um, any really extended actions are arguably. Although you could argue then that they're like hanging in after the, after the wind itself. Yeah. Um, well, the text doesn't say that everything is a winding. It says that all the windings appear in the text. You'll find all that described previously in the plays. So, 
trying to reduce the everything to 24 windings is not actually I'll be honest like, this section just seems with a three wounders like somebody got a real hard on for theory hammer and next they're going to start going on about platonic forms or or the holy <laughs> trinity or something it doesn't seem particularly useful so to me, the, uh, the the 24 windings thing is just a little way that I've always kind of uh, took it to be is that it's telling us to, you know, now that you have read this gloss, gone through this system, now you have the tools to figure stuff out for yourself. So, the, like, you know, there are 24 windings. I don't think the 24 windings are specific set-piece plays that we're supposed to know or, you know, descriptions of all the previous stuff. I think it's just in, like, saying here, like, now you can figure out your own stuff because you have the tools to do it. I yeah. worded that really bad. All right. To be fair, the other glosses that aren't left here do go and have a proper little conclusion you bit. So. I think the maybe something I don't know which bit we were about to talk about, but the discussion that's here in at least a couple of them that the windings always come with stepping is interesting as well because that's the other bit I always I used to use to frame the idea that winding goes from side to side because if you're taking passing steps it's very natural for the sword to change which side of the body it's on. Um, yeah, we haven't read that part yet. I know we haven't, but I think it's an interesting section. I don't know where Mike was about to go because I wanted to mention it right now. All right, so, uh, so we did the, the plan both sides. Uh, that's the eight windings come 24 from whatever wind against whatever play and against whatever strike you should drive the stroke, the thrust, or the slice. And you shall find all described previously in the plays. So that was left ending. And then we go, learn to correctly drive the eight winds from both sides so that you step in with each wind. And when he binds on your sword, test his attack and see if he is hard or soft on your sword. And when you have sensed these things, strike whichever wind is called for and work to the four exposures. If you do not do this, you are struck by all winds. Also, know that all fencers who wind on the sword and cannot feel on the sword, they become struck by the winding. Therefore, be diligent that you remember well the feeling and the word indes. When all the art of fencing goes from these two things. Here ends the text of the recital on the long sword and how to hold yourself with the sword every step and measure. This part is this part's not part of the official gloss. I think this was added in York Wilhelm, just FYI. Okay, this is her all right, we're gonna skip that. And the next paragraph as well. Yeah. So it's yeah. in the Nikolaus version, but only in York Wilhelm, if I recall correctly. Okay. Cool. We're gonna skip that. So I think I think what I would want to say about this is that um, this conclusion chapter harkens back to the verse, right? Saying that you should particularly split each wind into three. Um, and so I, I take uh, a little bit different view than Steve that this is, to me, this isn't saying do whatever you want, like figure it out. Um, what it's saying is that winding with the intention to slice should be executed differently than winding with the ex intention to cut and to thrust. That those three, even if you're going up to your left side ox, it will feel different if you're intending to thrust to cut to slice. Likewise on the other side, and also likewise depending on which side of their sword you're on. And so then with that, these are all actually separate. And that if you only practice how to do one, you will get overbound and crushed. And that's your fault. <laughs> I buy that. And they, they get in a nice little hard, soft, and indes reference there, which is, I want to say, cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's, one, there's one thing I would comment on related to T's comment, which is interesting. Uh, and I, I had this realization maybe a couple of years ago 
Um, why are we only supposed to wind with stepping? What does that actually mean? And I have a little pet theory that I can't support beyond what's in this paragraph, that the reason why winding was actually, why it exists, why, why it's in the system at all, is to solve the problem that some of us, maybe, maybe less Steve than me or T or Jess has, of even after you get a bind of the sword, you often still have to cover distance before you can attack your opponent. And during that time is when you're super vulnerable to counterattacks. So winding exists as a way to cover distance while keeping your opponent central, or at least trying to keep your opponent busy. So they're not realizing they can just snipe you uh, with a disengage. Uh, so winding with stepping is important because stepping without winding is how you end up getting stabbed without hitting well, your opponent. The, and the uh, other thing is that, sorry, just riffing off that slightly, um, when okay. you don't step, you end up extending. Um, and so if you want to keep on working in these shortened like positions, you need to step typically in order to actually make a hit. Mm -hmm. Go on, Steve. That's basically what I was going to say, is that one of my uh, ideas about stepping is that because winding shortens you, uh, take a step in to make up for that, I guess. One of the nice things about Travis's kind of hooking sort of circular action windings is that they end up, compared to the, the classic HEMA winding, um, is that Travis's ones tend to pull, I mean that you're, if you, you, you have this kind of, I think in firearms, like stuff they talk about, your sort of workspace, the space like right in front of your body, like you're sort of holding a beach ball or something, and inside that space you have a lot of, it's very easy for you to manipulate things, move things around, exert force in different directions and stuff. As you go outside of that space, you become a lot structurally weaker. Um, you can resist in like one direction if you have your arms, you know, straight on in front of you. You can resist force directly along that line, but lateral force becomes a lot harder for you to resist. Whereas inside your workspace, you can move very flexibly. Um, and one of the nice things about the Travis kind of hooking sort of winding um, is that it lets you stay very much in that workspace and pull the other person to a degree out of their workspace. You're, you're kind of pulling them forward a bit. Um, and pairing that with stepping lets you get closer to actually deliver your touch, but do it without extending yourself out of your own workspace so you keep that flexibility um, and structure, uh, which is pretty fun. One thing in general that I just want to mention about the windings which is kind of advice for the modern fencer, but I think that uh, the glosses would also, or the glossators would also agree, don't wind when you don't have to. Like if, if, uh, if you can just shoot the point straight in and land a hit, then do it. Don't chase their sword like just to wind it to the side, because then you're going to get hit. 100% yes. Yeah, I think this partly comes back to this is one of the key things about the feeling idea. Like, you need to be doing what you actually have to do. One of my pieces of general advice on whatever type of winding you do is to know whether you're trying to be long or you're trying to be short and pick one. Like, being really extended is pretty great for some stuff. Being short is pretty great for some stuff. Being in between tends to be worse than being short and worse than being extended. If you're lucky, you can use it to beat either of those by, like, you know, I'm a bit more extended, so I can beat your shortness with my slight extra extension. But in practice, what normally happens is it sucks compared to each one. Um, so <laughs> picking picking which one you're trying to be and remember and like deliberately doing that can be really helpful for trying to apply some of the stuff, whether it's either deliberately being short or deliberately being really extended and shooting in. All right. So I gotta say, this is like episode thirty-nine, not including the bonus episodes, and this is the end of the Zertle. Does anybody else feel kind of underwhelmed, or is that just me? <laughs> I don't know. I guess like, since I don't GG, know, we okay, did. Yes. <laughs> I don't know quite was what I was expecting. Some big reveal. For our next episode, but I have really strong feelings about this being the end of the settle when if the order we currently write it down in is the order, it isn't the end. It's the beginning of the horse. 
So yeah, it yes. really freaking bothers me yeah. that the end is in the first third. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it feels so, <laughs> so underwhelming then. Does, so is it normally Tin Can and then Pony, or is it sort of horse? It's always Pony, then Tin Can. Always Pony. Except Ring Gag. Ring Gag has really? Tin Can first. Yep. Oh, See, you okay. know that. And Love you doesn't make have any... assumptions about what I've studied. Love, Love doesn't, doesn't have, have any Tin or that's not true. He has he steals what is it, League Knitters? Passes it off yeah. as its own. I think I think that's right. I think that's right. But League Knitters uh, But it doesn't have the, the Zadel. So Yeah. It's not a gloss. It's just Right. Uh it's all of Lignitzer's badass, crazy armored stuff. Like that dude <laughs> was working on that some dude. issues. He was because... fascinated with testicles. <laughs> wow! Yeah, some yeah. stuff he was processing. I really like Lignitzer's armored. I think Lignitzer's armored is probably one of the most um, easy to visualize things, like text that I've read. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. It's it's super cool stuff, but it's not at all like the base gloss of armored, which is Shisen and Zuken all day long, right? <laughs> Something I do find interesting about this, actually, although maybe we can put this into the next episode or whatever. Um, now spoilers, there will be one more, despite the fact we're finished. Um, the, but this is probably better for the Zettel content, um, is that the, there isn't like a direct connection between the unarmored and the other two. Whereas when we go, if you look at the transition between Pony and Tin Can, most of the time the end of the Pony stuff has unhorsing and so on, often comes towards the end. And then the early stuff in Tin Can is you on foot and them on a horse um, in several of the bosses. So you get this, like, there seems to be a kind of direct linkage. I sometimes split it into two instead of three on the basis of that, where you have, like, this is, there's the unarmored system, which is one thing. And you have a a system in two parts of horseback and armor that have connections between them as they transition from one to the other. And the early stuff on foot is dealing with the other dude while they're still on their horse. Um, and then once you get them off their horse, you go into the rest of the foot stuff. So that's an interesting like difference between the two mm -hmm. or the three between the two between the two transitions. I guess would be the better way to put that. Yeah. I still have lots of questions about why it's set up that way that I don't think we're going to get answers to. Uh, does anybody here know how to do a seance? <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way to get answers. For that matter, how has everybody spoken 14th, late 14th century German? I told my kid if when I die there is not like access to Lichenauer himself and the Alexandria Library, I'm going to be really disappointed. <laughs> it's going to be a sign went to the bad place if that doesn't happen after I die. <laughs> yeah. Assuming right. Lichenauer is not in the bad place. Ooh. Mate, he's not McBain. Dude, if you, if we walk through the pearly gates and there's Fiori and there's no Lishnauer to be seen, we're all gonna cry. Door <laughs> <laughs> <George> Silver. <laughs> <laughs> if there's George Silver there, I'm turning around and right back out. Ah, uh, mate. Imagine if you got to the pearly gates and it was George Silver and swept them inside. You could just oh be like, God. nope, this is a setup. I will think God walked backwards into hell. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think on that bombshell, it's time to wrap up. Has anybody got anything else they'd like to add? No. Well, thank oh, you I for had... listening. Oh, I'll go ahead, Michael. Uh, well, just a random thought that occurred to me earlier that I forgot to bring up, which is that it's interesting that when Meyer converts these thrusting wines, Joachim Meyer converts these thrusting wines into slices, you know, for thrusting safety. He puts the slice after the winding where we would expect to stab, and not the winding is a slicing action. 
So he'll do a wind into a hanger and then like try to drag his point across your face from that hanger, um, which is a totally different way of doing slicing than I think we see in the gloss. Um, and that's an interesting modification. But I don't know if that's what's meant by the that wunder, um, if it's supposed to be a slice after the hanger, or if it's uh, something Meyer just invented out of whole cloth. Uh, but it's a it's maybe a significant difference. Yeah, what about it? Uh, well, the other thing, and if anyone has thoughts on that, the other the other thing I'll point out is since we're into the math section for some reason, the pop quiz on math. Um, figure two seven a has a weird cryptic verse where it breaks it down differently and then says that each of your four exposures can therefore be wounded in six ways. Because then if you just take, you know, the two windings to each opening and three wounders, you end up with six attacks to go to each opening. So, you know, we can keep doing math if we want to. I think that's all I have. Yeah. Huh. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And then on that note, thank you for listening to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we have taken an in-depth look at the Schnauer glosses. Tune in at some point in the future, maybe a month or two ahead, where we're going to do a, a recap and talk about everything that we've learned on our journey along the way. Thanks for listening. The real title is The Friends We Make Along the Way. <laughs>